Sing it again, change my heart, oh God. Will change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Will may I be like you? You are the potter. thankful this morning, amen, that there's somewhere where we can cast our cares, because we all have them, amen, they're all different maybe from each other, but we all have them, and uh, I'm thankful for that this morning. Uh, we've got a few prayer requests here, we want to pray, uh, remember Sister Caitlin Brown, she's not feeling well, uh, we want to remember uh, Sister Chanel's stepfather, uh, he's in the hospital with uh, 
quite a few health issues, so we want to remember him in prayer. Uh, Sister Karen Orgelier is uh, sick this morning. Uh, Sister Melody Cross and several of the kids are sick. <clears throat> um, Ethan and Abigail, my kids, are home uh, not feeling well this morning either. Uh, Sister Laura Harwell is not feeling well. Uh, we want to remember Brother Aaron Ningamanza. He is uh, ministering for Brother Burley down in South Carolina, so we want to remember him in prayer this morning. We want to remember Brother Luke and Sister Haley. They're away traveling. Uh, Brother Glenn in Arizona. Tumbling Sob, I'm sure I've mispronounced it, that is struggling with cancer, a brother there, so we want to remember him in prayer. We want to always continue to remember our folks that are elderly and homebound that aren't here with us. Um, we want to remember the drums that uh, Brother Barry mentioned last week are doing well, but just because of uh, uh, their uh, immune system, stay uh, stay away, it's still quite weeks, but we won't know that they're often uh, streaming, so we want to remember Brother Joe and Sister Frida. Of course, we want to remember the Smiths. Always miss uh, Brother Richard and Sister Mary and pray for them. If you have an unspoken prayer request, you just want to make it known or the uplifted hand. Amen. Let's just bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts, Lord Jesus. For any time we come before you to bring a need, Lord Jesus, we're reminded, Lord, of the innumerable things, Lord, that you've already done for us, Lord. You've already proved yourself, Lord, to be our provider and our healer, Lord Jesus. Father, we just come to bring these needs before you for each one, Lord Jesus. Those who are sick and afflicted, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'll minister, Lord, to them in body and in spirit, Lord, that you'll lift up their faith, Lord, that they might take hold on your word and receive their healing, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray, Lord, that your hand of mercy would be uh, upon those who are traveling, Lord Jesus. We just, we think of Brother Luke and Brother Aaron, Lord Jesus, as they're on the road traveling, Lord, we pray that you would watch over them, keep them, be with them. Lord, we pray for uh, Sister Chanel, Lord Jesus, and her, her stepdad. Lord, may you just minister to their needs according to their situation, Lord Jesus. Father, we want to remember Sister Karen and Brother David, Lord Jesus, knowing that their faithfulness, Lord, they would love to be here pray that you administer to them, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that you would be with uh, Brother Ben McCafferty's children, Lord Ethan and his sister. We pray that you would just minister to them, Lord Jesus. Make them completely well, Father. Lord, for each one, Lord, the Smiths, the drums, faithful folks we know would just love to be here always always happy to be in the assembly of the Lord, have to be out for whatever reason. Father, in the way that only you are able, I pray that you'll minister to them, minister a special blessing to them, 
this morning, make them mindful of of the fact that they're in our hearts and they're in our minds, Lord Jesus. They're near to us and dear to us. We love them, Father. And we pray that they'll feel your love for them this morning as well as ours. Father, come and be with us in a special way for this service. For the remainder of the service, Lord, we just commit our all, our everything into your hands and pray that you would come and have your way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Brother Matt. Turn and shake hands with those that are around you. I want to welcome our uh, guests that are here with us. You may have your seats, yes. It's good to have everybody here this morning. It's nice and uh, bright and sunny outside. It was uh, lovely. Um, let's sing. We're going to sing uh, Meeting in the Air. I haven't sang that song in a long, long time. I used to sing it a lot. I haven't sang it in a long time, and I really enjoy that song. And then right after that, Brother and Sister Munch are going to come and sing for us. So right after we uh, sing this, if you can make your way up to sing. You have heard of little Moses in the bull rush. You have heard of fearless David and his sling. You have heard the story told of dreaming Joseph. And the whale you often sing Well, there are many, many others through the Bible And I would like to meet them all, I do declare By and by the Lord will surely let us meet them Amen At that meeting in the air Well, there is going to be a meeting in the air Sweet, sweet, by and by. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Are you looking forward to that? Amen. Amen. We've been looking forward to singing this song. We wanted to sing it before Christmas, but we got colds and different things happen. Brother Ram loved this song. I love it too. Down from his glory. And I know everybody knows it, so just please sing with us. From his glory, ever living story, my God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger, to his own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears, and Matt, can you come up here? 
Brother Keith is going to uh, sing for us. Uh, and Matt's just finding out he's going to be playing. Thank you, brother and sister, much. Really enjoyed that this morning. Amen. Amen. Check. Here we go. We got it now. I typically don't need a mic, but I just wanted to take just a moment, just a real quick moment to say thank you all so much for your prayers I went into a procedure Tuesday that the last time I had this procedure done I was down for five days it was right before our end of year dinner it, it actually even put me in a wheelchair very uncomfortable and a lot of pain and, and a lot of tiredness but Tuesday I woke up from the procedure just a very very slight hint of pain Wednesday, I had just a little nauseous, and but I was really tired, but no pain. Thursday, I was about 80%. Friday, I was well enough to take a ride on the motorcycle. I'm here this morning because I believe God is healing my body. A few brothers would get started playing on that this morning for me. I'm here to tell you, saints, I really enjoyed what Brother Barry was talking about Shamgar. That's my favorite story. Because when, when the child of God has enough, when he's had enough, they say the weakest child gets on his knees and all of hell trembles. All of hell. So I'm here to tell you, saints, the devil does not belong in front of you where he's holding you back. He doesn't belong beside of you to where he can whisper in your ear. He don't even belong behind you where he can pull on you. Do you know where he belongs? He belongs under your feet. How many want to do a little devil stomping today? Amen. Sing this song with me. I'm telling you, I'm not giving up. Oh, I'm not giving up. No, I'm not turning round By the grace of God I'll wear a shining crown Someday, oh, I'll keep holding on To that nail-scarred hand Oh, no, I'm not giving up No, I'll keep going on how many's been here i've been walking through a valley through a veil of tears times i've even questioned even if my lord was near oh many times that old tempter he says why not turn Giving up. 
Giving up, are you? Amen. Amen. We're going to ask the uh, ushers to come. Thanks, Brother Keith. Really enjoyed that. Appreciate our Brother Keith. It's great to uh, see him singing. Amen. Amen. As the ushers come, Brother Johnny, could you ask the blessing on the offering? Amen. As Brother Barry gets ready to come, let's sing uh, that song, Something Keeps Holding Me. Aren't you thankful something keeps holding you? Amen. The trials of this world was getting closer. Well, the pull I felt was more than I could bear. Oh, something 
something's holding me, that's for sure. Well, uh, at the outset of our service this morning, uh, we just want to welcome all of you today. And uh, Ben's already had everybody shake hands with one another. So I'm going to let you take your seats this morning. We're going to let our musicians take their seats this morning. And uh, we welcome all of you to the service in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And good to have all of you here. It's good to be back. My wife and I had a little uh, time away, a little few days away, and uh, we appreciate that. Appreciate Brother John taking the service on Wednesday night. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's just, you know, you just work through things in your own heart, in your own way when it comes to losing a loved one. I remember when my uh, mom passed away, it was such a shock to us. It was such a, a big thing to, to our, our family. And, uh, you know, in, in a sense, when you receive news like that and you go through that experience, everything stops. Everything stops. It feels like the whole world stops. And then one of the things you have to deal with is how everything picks back up and goes on. It's almost like everybody should remain stopped in honor of this person. But life goes on. And, you know, picking back up and moving on in that same way, sometimes it's a challenge, you know, to... Uh, to experience that, but we appreciate your prayers and appreciate your patience with us and your expressions of concern is still coming, and uh, we really do appreciate that. 
Well, uh, <clears throat> I want to just go through a couple of things this morning here uh, that will help refresh you as to things that are coming up. And uh, of course, next weekend, you know, Brother Sam Browning will be here and we'll have our couples banquet. We want to thank in advance all these young men who are going to be here uh, helping us through the banquet and young ladies who are going to be helping. And uh, uh, we just want to say you guys are special and uh, thank you in advance. So we appreciate that very much. And uh, we're looking forward to having our time on Saturday evening. And then Brother Sam's going to minister uh, on Sunday for us as well. And then following uh, that weekend, Brother uh, George Smith's going to be along and uh, going to come and, and uh, speak for us again. And then also after that weekend, on the 25th of February, we're going to have our international dinner. Now, our international dinner is, uh, is going to be held, it's just going to be a lunch after church, okay, on, on that Sunday afternoon. And it'll be for everybody, uh, everybody who's here. And the purpose really is to uh, get acquainted with some of the different cultures that are here and uh, different uh, people from different uh, parts of the world who are here. And it's going to be a, a potluck. And it's going to be a true potluck because what you bring is what we're going to eat. Okay, so if you don't bring anything, we're not going to eat anything. So we want, the church is not going to be supplying anything outside of our utensils and drinks and that kind of thing, but we want everybody to bring uh, things as a part of the potluck. And if you're from the U.S., like if you're from the South, uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, food indicative of our region, if it ain't fried, it ain't food, right? So... You Southerners, you want to you want to pour it on and uh, bring Southern food, and we also we have um, you know some Westerners here. We have some uh, Canadians that are here, and uh, we have folks from different parts of the world, from Ghana, Zimbabwe, uh, from France. We're going to have a French station. We're going to have a crepe station uh, for everybody from from France, and uh, we're excited about that. And uh, we, we are just looking forward to our, our time of fellowship. So our international folks are going to have a station where they're going to uh, hi, uh, highlight their food. And uh, you'll be able to participate with that. And uh, Brother Anwar got all excited about the idea of an international dinner. So he's coming over, bringing some folks with him. So we're going to have a strong Pakistani representation. Uh, Brother Yeshua, you're not going to be alone. And uh, this is, uh, like I say, truly a, a, a potluck in the sense that we want everybody to bring things for their, you know, meals for their family. And uh, if you have any questions at all, you can see Sister Becky. We'll remind you again. And uh, we're looking forward to that, uh, to that time. Now, we want to welcome this morning Sister Ropa, who's here from Zimbabwe. Sister Ropa, why don't you raise your hand and just say hey. And this is Sister Ropa. She is from Zimbabwe, lived in South Carolina. She's been in the U.S. about two years and has now moved up to Charlotte. And so she came today with the Wellingtons, and we're honored to have you with us. May God bless you. Good to have you here, just in time for the international dinner and um, help with the Zimbabwe contingent there. So we appreciate that. <clears throat> now, we want to remember, uh, we we're thankful of Brother uh, Tom Reynolds, Brother Johnny's father, is back home. And uh, doing very well. We appreciate that. We want to remember Sister Laura Harwell. I don't think she got mentioned this morning. She's not here today, but listening. Today is a special day because it is the anniversary of Brother Tom and Sister Kim, their wedding anniversary. And we need to know how many years? 
57 years, you win. You win. Brother Tom, Sister Kim, we love you from the bottoms of our heart. We appreciate you both very much. Uh, you're very much a cornerstone of our church here, and we just appreciate you guys. And may your, not only your day, but may your year be blessed. February 5th, uh, which is tomorrow, is Jennifer Cochran's birthday. She's here. She's in the back. Uh, and also, that is Lucas and Haley's anniversary, and they're not here. Uh, they're swimming with the sharks today, so they're not here. Uh, February 7th is also Brother Anwar and Sister Sheba's anniversary uh, in Queens, New York. Brother Anwar is uh, certainly a special friend of ours and uh, from Pakistan and uh, is a part of this assembly uh, part of my ministry for years and years and years and years and years, and uh, you'll get to meet them at the end of the month uh, when they come over. So we're looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> we we are also uh, excited today because I wanted to give you just a little, if you will, throw that up there uh, or put it up. Uh, we we were finally received some pictures uh, for uh, the folks in. South Africa and Zimbabwe on the border there, who speak the Venda language or Chivenda. And uh, they're receiving their seven church age books. They're very excited about that. It's taken us a while, but we're excited about them uh, getting their books over in that part of the world. So on the top part, uh, right between South Africa and, and Zimbabwe, uh, there's several million people, 2.4% of the population of that region uh, speak that language. So it's a lot of people and there's a lot of believers who are there. And uh, they're very excited because they've had very little in that language. And so we're excited about it. I also received yesterday a manuscript from uh, Burundi. And uh, this is the first time they have me uh, message books in their language. And we got a manuscript for the seven church ages. And uh, that was sent off to Brother Sven in Norway. And he's formatting that for us. So we're going to be printing uh, for them. So we're excited. Always excited to see that happen. And now, just the last uh, one here, uh, Brother Anwar sent me this note, and he has finished translating the Easter Revival. And that's a series of six sermons. It's in the process of being printed, and it'll be a great blessing for uh, the Bride of Christ in Pakistan. Pakistan is the only nation that we print within the country. Otherwise, we ship to every other nation on earth. But in Pakistan, because it is only 2.3% Christian, uh, nobody wants to import Christian materials. And so we print inside the country, and uh, it saves us on the shipping, and we get good quality work done there, so we're uh, really excited uh, about the work that goes on there. Brother Anwar does all the translation, and him and his brother handle the printing over there, and then it's distributed among all the churches and the believers in Pakistan. So uh, we're excited about that. Now, I want to just you, for you to take a moment here to go through, go with me through Adventures in the Bible, okay? And this is a promo uh, PowerPoint, and I just want to show you this because there are a number of you that are in the assembly that have never been through Adventures in the Bible, and uh, we're going, coming up to June 14th and 15th, and we're going to have Adventures in the Bible, and so I just wanted to give you a little preview, okay, if you've never been. Uh, this is an all-in program, okay? And it's not a youth program. It is a church program. So everybody's here. Everybody's a part of this. And uh, we have services on 
uh, Friday all day, and then we have, uh, during the daytime, we have service in the morning, and we have activities all day. Saturday, same thing, repeated again. We require lots of helpers, lots of people who are either group leaders or food people or, uh, you know, people who uh, just work hard. And uh, we, we have a lot of fun. It's just, uh, to me, it, to me, it is one of the most important things that we do here because we minister to all of our kids up to the age of 13. And uh, it is a really important age range. And the kids who have been through this, they love it. It's open to people outside this church. And so we have lots of folks come in and be a part of it. So this was a picture that, uh, Theo, don't let this go to your head, okay? But this was my favorite picture of all time of Theo uh, enjoying the service there. And uh, this was in uh, 2019. And uh, the picture on the right-hand side is the walls of Jericho that actually came down. And so here's just a couple of random pictures. We go all in on this program. So everybody dresses up. You'll be given the period that we're talking about because we're going to be doing Paul and Silas this time. So we're doing a Greek village. And uh, the, all the back out here will be outfitted as a Greek town. And uh, everybody who is a part of that. Uh, listen, some of these pictures are classic. Okay, you're gonna love some of these pictures here. They are classic. As a matter of fact, I thought I'd take this one, Brother John, and use it as a theme maybe for adventures and show it worldwide. I just, I mean, I just when I saw this, I locked in on this one. I thought, mm, boy, that's just great. I'm just gonna leave that another second. <laughs> Sorry, should I not have done that? All right, so. All the kids get dressed up, and this is in the um, choir practice here that they're doing, and they do, uh, they have, they, uh, Sister Laura directs them in the choir, and uh, besides all the programs that they have all day, we have our meals on the inside, and this is uh, something that's going on there. There's always lots of activity. This is Matt Watkins, the high priest, and uh, this is the year we set up the tabernacle in the wilderness. I think that's 2019 as well. And uh, just some random shots there. Now, that's another classic one there as well. And uh, the kids are finding treasure in the sand on uh, that one. And these are some of the games that go on there. I think Joe was looking after that one. And uh, they were doing, I forget the, the name of the, but it was biblical. Everything is biblical. <laughs> so, uh, and there's lots of crafts that are done in the village. Uh, during the day, after the service in the morning, and we have some, uh, they have generally the, the programs, they have uh, their church in the morning, and then they have uh, choir practice after that, and we have lunch, then we have all kinds of rounds in the afternoon. Ah, there he is. Uh, and that's, uh, I'm not sure what he's doing there, but I think he's just trying to attract attention to himself with the kids there. They do all sorts of crafts. All manner of things are done during that time. There's a staff in one of the years, uh, there and the kids, and that was Henry. Uh, there, this was crossing the Red Sea, I think it was. And uh, sometimes you get a little bit wet during. This is a staff meeting here, um, and Matt is giving us uh, some instructions here, and uh, it didn't mean anything, but Matt was giving us instructions there. There's some crafts. Here's uh, Joshua. And, uh, and Moses, the high priest, and uh, Jeremy with his Apple watch blowing the shofar <laughs> behind us. Now, this is Rahab and the walls of Jericho and the two spies. Uh, 
And she's talking to the two spies there. And that was really quite an ordeal, the whole Jericho thing. But it did actually catch on fire, throwing, spear throwing, uh, javelin throwing, I think it was. Here's the Ark of the Covenant going through the wilderness. And uh, this, is, this is quite a deal. Here's the walls of Jericho. We had to march, and we did seven times around the wall. And uh, at the end of it, we had the blowing of horns, and then it all came down. It blew up. Fire of God came down from heaven, and it all fell over. And it was quite a lot of work that went down uh, in that one. And uh, so these are, again, these are just some of the random pictures. We teach the kids different things that are related to the lessons they're learning. So they're making crafts, so they're learning to write and interpret the, the uh, scriptural words and so forth. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, for the kids, it's even almost as much fun for them as it is for the staff. And and uh, our services, there was some action at the end. There was a stoning, actually, with water balloons at the end of that one. There's another year there. Greek coffee. Uh, this before we began. We have a staff meeting there, and... <clears throat> That was, uh, that was what was served. And so this year, it's Paul and Silas, prisoners at Philippi. And so we're going to be doing uh, Paul and Silas at the end of the uh, Friday afternoon. And they're going to be uh, ministering in the, in the marketplace, in the, public, in the public square. And they're going to be arrested. And then on Saturday, they're going to meet their fate uh, on Saturday. So mark it on your calendars, June 14th and 15th. And we want everybody to be a part of that. Uh, uh, whether you're up to 13, everybody's apart. And if you're over 13, everyone's apart. And uh, so it'll be a lot of fun for sure. All right. <clears throat> well, you can take that down. It'll be just fine there. Thank you. And if you don't mind, let's stand to our feet and let's look in the scripture if that'll be all right. We're going to the book of Judges again. And I hope you don't mind. I'd like to take another little... Uh, just a little verse or two out of the book of Judges here. And uh, last Sunday, as somebody mentioned, we talked about Shamgar and uh, talked about his experience in the harvest season when uh, the enemy came and tried to steal away what he had. And the principle that I wanted to leave with you and wanted to impress upon you is that just because we come to the harvest, when everything is said and done, everything's concluded, doesn't mean the devil just rolls over and goes away. But he fights hard during the time of the harvest because that's the time of the possession. Now, we ended at chapter 3, and that was, that was Shamgar's story. And after uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 and 5, uh, we read the story of Deborah and Barak. Okay, but we're going to come over into chapter 6. And we find another important character here. And it says in verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of, the Midian, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. So now we are at a place where we're at a harvest again, and so now the increase of the earth is before the children of Israel. All right, This is what they're waiting for. 
And the Midianites came and destroyed the increase of the earth. They didn't even take it. They were there to destroy it. Till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel at all. Neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents. And they came as grasshoppers from multitude. They were swarms of them. For both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. And then in verse 8 it says, sorry in verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you may be seated this morning. So now this morning, I I want to, um, again, keep this simple, and I'm doing that without apology, but I want to keep this simple and uh, just talk a little bit about this season now that we come into after uh, Deborah and Barak, who are there. And uh, they are uh, they're delivering Israel for a season. And uh, again, just to uh, refresh your memory, the, the judges were not prophets. They, uh, they were not great people. They were people of the people. They were people just like you. And they were farmers and, and uh, laborers. They were people that had no history with God. They weren't born with pillars of fire. And they weren't, uh, you know, called up into the mountain like Moses was and uh, used of God in that particular way. They were, they were just people of the people. And uh, they, they, they came on the scene, or if you like, God anointed them because of a need. And, and God is able, how many of you believe that God is able to use someone because of a need, even, even if you're not a prophet? Right? I mean, there are times when you've been in trouble or maybe you've been in a spot or you've been in a situation where, uh, you know, you, you, needed, you needed help. You needed the hand of God. And somebody shows up and helps you. And somebody, somebody comes to your aid. Or some way or another, you even come to church and get an answer. And, and you realize this is not a prophet. This is just somebody within the body who's ministering to the body. And that, that's, that's certainly a, a great way for God to deal with us. And I'm thankful that God still does that. Do you believe that? God still does that. And I'm, I'm so thankful. And uh, sometimes, you know, just a word of encouragement or, uh, you know, just something, some kindness that's shown or uh, whatever else. It, it is amazing how that God knows that need already and he sends someone by your way. And it doesn't always have to be something, uh, you know, from, from uh, one of God's superstars, we'd say. And that's who the judges were. They were just people who, uh, who came on the scene as a result of the need. Now, if you look in verse 11 with me here. We find that in, in, this, in this time of this overwhelming attack by, 
by people that when you look out, they were like a swarm of grasshoppers here, which is an, an awesome thing. I mean, this year we're going to have cicadas, I think, and they say it's going to be a double portion. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a cicada event before, but I've been in a cicada event. And uh, I mean, I've watched cars slide on the road because there's so many cicadas that uh, lay on the roadway or try to get some sleep. And it's really hard because of the deafening roar of the cicadas. When they show up, you tend to know that they're there. But this year, it's going to be a double portion, double plague. So it'll be quite interesting. And uh, when they came, uh, when the Midianites came, they swarmed into Israel and they just devoured everything, destroyed everything there. And then in verse 11, after this prophet shows up, this prophet doesn't have any name. And he's not one of the judges, he's a prophet. And God sends this prophet to remind the people, don't be afraid. I'm going to, I'm going to see you through. And, and uh, uh, I want you just to recall, I want you to think back. At how that uh, you were in Egypt in bondage there and I delivered you out. And I drove out the inhabitants before you in the land. I, I went before you and stayed with you and did many things on your behalf over these, over these many years. And, and God is simply saying to them, and you know what? I'll do it again. I have no problem doing it again. My power has not abated. I'm still as powerful as I ever was. So there's, there's no shortage of my ability but he says in the last verse of verse, the last part of verse 10, he says, but you have not obeyed my voice. You've, you've not, you've not done what I told you to do. And you remember, uh, last time when they, uh, intermarried, you know, the young people intermarried and, and, uh, they got involved with the people who were, uh, coming against the, the Philistines who were coming against, uh, Shamgar. And, uh, there, there was a tolerance of the people of the world back in that day. And they, and they got into trouble for that. And here they are. Here they are another uh, so many years and they've forgotten again and they're back in trouble and they're crying out to God. In verse 11, then there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak tree, which was in Oprah, and uh, that pertained unto Joash, the Abizarite, and his son Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Say it again. Gideon. And they were threshing wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Today we're going to pretend that this pulpit is a wine press. The wine press is normally round because they had to run the big stone around the wine press, and they had to, uh, you know, get the big uh, the big uh, oxen to pull that stone around, and then all the wine, all the juice would run down into the middle of that, and uh, they would siphon it off and filter it and so forth, and that's the wine press. But today the wine press is right here. And so Gideon and his father are standing there in, in the wine press. They're, they're, um, they're behind it somehow, and uh, they're threshing wheat. Well, you only thresh wheat in the harvest time, right? You don't thresh wheat when it's not fully grown, matured. You're going to wait till it's mature. And you, this is the process of separating all the junk out of it there. And you're pulling that apart, and you're getting just the grains here, and then we're going to grind that up. But this is what the Midianites were coming after. They were going to destroy everything that... That Gideon had. And so <clears throat> the Bible goes on to talk about how that, uh, this, uh, this person came to visit Gideon and his father. And they were quite amazed at this. Now, Brother Branham you know, takes, his, takes his liberty in describing uh, this person that shows up. And he said he was like an old man. Nobody would have noticed him. He was a person who was kind of wrinkly. And he said he leaned back on a rock like this. I'm just paraphrasing. I have all the quotes here. But he said he just kind of leaned back on the rock and had a stick in his hand. I appreciate Brother Jaron. He came right to my office last Sunday after Shamgar. And he said, do you have an ox goat? I said, no. 
No, I've never had an ox goat because I've never had oxen. He said, I'm going to make you one. So I'm looking forward to that, Brother Jaron. I'm going to hold you to that. Because a lot of people commented on Joe. I notice he's sitting in the second row today and 11. <clears throat> Got a reaction out of him, though, that's for sure. But this man was sitting back, leaning back on a rock, Brother Bram said, and he had the stick in his hand, and he said he was just all of a sudden appeared, and they hadn't noticed him before, and he said <clears throat> he spoke to Joash and Gideon. And the angel of the Lord, he said unto them, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now you've got to catch the scene for a moment here. And here's this, uh, here's this man and his son, and he's talking to Gideon here, and he says, uh, he says, I'm mighty man of valor. He says, I've come today. Now, forgive me again now, this is not going to be deep or difficult or long, but I, I just want you to get the picture of where we are. Because Gideon essentially is hiding behind this wine press. He's kind of like this. And he's just watching, but down here he's doing what he needs to do in order to get the wheat all ground. But he's, he's, <laughs> he's not exactly saying, I am Gideon. A mighty man of valor. A mighty man of valor in your face. He's not doing that at all. He's hiding behind the wine press. So God comes to him, or this man comes to him, and says to him, thou mighty man of valor. Hmm. If anyone probably would not have felt like a mighty man of valor, it would have been Gideon at that moment. As a matter of fact, what you're going to find is a theme that runs through the entire story of Gideon, and it goes on for quite a while. The theme that we find in there is all summarized in the one word, fear. Gideon is afraid of the Philistines. They're afraid of, or sorry, the Midianites. He's afraid of what's going to befall the nation of Israel. He's not sure how this is all going to come out. And he knows, everybody knows, that they've fallen into disfavor with God. But here comes God himself in a pre-Jesus form called a theophany in the same way that he showed up to Abraham as Melchizedek and stood there and talked to Gideon and calls him a mighty man of valor. Now, I'm really thankful, and I, I hope you all feel the same way, that <clears throat> when God shows up and talks to you, he knows what's already in you. So he's not describing how he feels. He's describing who he really is. Is that okay? He knows, he knows what Gideon is going to become. In the same way, as I've said to you many times before, when, when Samuel showed up to anoint a new king for Israel, God knows exactly what lays inside of David. Right? Now David doesn't know. And Jesse doesn't know. And Jesse's other sons, they don't know what lays inside of David. As a matter of fact, David is so young and insignificant, he's not even invited into the house when a prophet shows up. When a prophet shows up, my goodness, can you imagine Brother Random coming to your home and, and being invited into the living room and uh, uh, you know, sitting there and making a special visit to your house? Imagine that. I mean, that would be a red-letter event. David's not even invited. He's out in the field looking after the sheep. 
And Samuel is standing there looking at the sons after God rebukes him and tells him, you're, you're, not, you're looking at the outside of these boys here. You're not looking at the inside at all. And he said, so just ask Jesse, is there any more? And he asked Jesse, isn't there another one? Yeah, there's another one. He's, he's out in the field. I said, well, go get him. Let's bring him in here. And as soon as he comes in, there's a connection made between Samuel and David. And Samuel says, this is the one. Stand up here, Theo, since you're the star today. And he takes the oil and he pours it over David. And, you know, he's just a ruddy guy. Doesn't even shave yet. Did you shave today? Nope. Doesn't even shave yet. And he's dressed. He's dressed like somebody who's been out all day looking after the sheep and just runs in. He doesn't have time to do anything else. He just runs in. And here he is standing here before this prophet. And this prophet doesn't ask any questions. He just goes over. You know why? Because God's looking at the heart and God knows exactly what lays inside this young man. He knows there's a king in there. Now it's interesting, like I say, because Jesse doesn't know, the brothers don't know, David don't know, Samuel doesn't even know. Because Samuel picked another guy. But Samuel, all, he's directed by God to put, uh, put that oil on top of uh, uh, David here. And he says, thou art the next king of Israel. I think it's a wonderful thing. Thank you, David. I think it's a wonderful thing that, like I've said to you, I've illustrated to you many times before, you can cut open an apple and count the seeds, but only God can take the seed and count the apples that will come from it. So God looks at us differently than how we look at ourselves. So when he came to Gideon, he said, oh, he said, the mighty man of valor. Yeah, right. Mighty man of valor standing there. And here's Gideon half hiding behind the wine press because he's afraid of what may come. He's afraid that around the corner might come these Midianites and steal everything he has. And those guys were not reluctant to, to kill those Israelites that got in the way. And here's, here's Gideon not leading the charge. Here's Gideon, Gideon in hiding. And God calls him mighty man of valor. But you know what's interesting now, without going into a whole lot of more detail, I just want to set the scene for you, that all of a sudden there are things here that, that uh, happen to Gideon. And, and the first thing has to deal with these fears that Gideon has, because he, he's, he's quite reluctant, and he, he's saying to the Lord, well, you're going to have to give me a sign. You're going to have to give me a sign that this is all true. And so... The Lord says to Gideon, well, okay, he says, I can do that. I'm, I'm a God of signs and wonders. Do you believe he's a God of signs and wonders? And so here goes Gideon, and he runs into the house and takes all the raw food, brings it out, lays it on a rock like this, and there's a lamb, and there's some vegetables that are there, and there's some, he's got some broth. And, and Gideon just takes the whole thing, lays it out on the rock, takes the broth, and pours it all over the top of it there, and it's running over the sides of the rock. And the Lord just looks at that and he takes his staff and just touches this rock and wham, all of it is consumed by fire. Gideon knows, oh, this is, this is a supernatural God that I know. This is a supernatural God that I read about. And something in his heart begins to register that this is truly a move of God. Somehow or another, God has visited me with his presence here. And so it, the Bible goes on and tells a story here, and it begins in verse 23. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, and fear not, thou shalt not die. And Gideon built an altar there, and all the, the fire and so forth is all described here. And then the Bible says that 
that Gideon says, Lord, if, if you don't mind, I, I, I'd like to have one more sign, just personally here, one more sign that, that this is truly of God, that I'm not dreaming somehow. And he said, I'm going to take a fleece, which is just a, uh, just a skin, really, a skin of an animal. And I'm just going to lay out this fleece here. And if you don't mind, he said, if this is of God, he said, let the fleece be wet and all the ground around it, let it be dry overnight. And so Gideon gets up early the next morning and takes the fleece and he picks it up and it's heavy, it's sopping wet and wrings it out. Oh, he says, this is, this is, this is great. But you know what? Lord, if you don't mind. Now, let me say what Brother Branham said. That laying a fleece out is for the inexperienced believer. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Gideon at all. But he said it's a different thing to lay out a fleece than it is to accept God according to his word. Okay? So Gideon says, now, Lord, if you don't mind, he says, can I run this by you again? He says, and tomorrow let's do the opposite. And he says, I'd like to lay the fleece down in the same place and let the ground everywhere be all wet and let the fleece be dry. And the next morning, Gideon repeats and he picks up the fleece and it's completely bone dry. Everything around him is covered in dew. Uh, He knows. He knows. So therefore, now he assumes that God is going to put him into action. God's just going to give him everything he needs and give him a company cell phone and a laptop and just go to it. Get the work for the kingdom. <clears throat> but God does something very unusual. God says <clears throat> to Gideon, I'm going to give you a job first. And this job first will address the problem that you're most, you're most dealing with, and that is your fear. And I'm going to <clears throat> have you go down to your father's house And this is why God did not address Gideon's father when he came to him. He only talked to Gideon. He said, the mighty man of valor. And he didn't talk to the father because the father had a whole bunch of idols. Even though he was a Jew, he had a whole bunch of idols, kind of like everybody else in the community. And he told Gideon, I want you to go down to your father's house and destroy the whole bunch of them. Break them up, deal with them, destroy them. And any grottos or temples or any pictures that he has, posters of his gods, I want you just to go ahead and destroy it. Gideon says, whoa, that's my father. He's a powerful man. As a matter of fact, later on in the story, you'll find that Gideon's father actually was able to command group, large groups of men uh, to do different things. So he's, he's not just an average guy. He's a probably an official in that city, and had the ability to uh, you know, summon large crowds of people to do things for him. Now Gideon says, man, he says, that's a tough one. I'll have to go at night. So he goes at night, and he takes all of the idols and destroys them, destroys the altar. He rids his father's house of everything that smacks of idolatry. I mean, that's quite a bold thing. And so the men of the city, they get up in the morning, and some of them want to go to church at Gideon's father's house. And they come in, they see the whole thing wrecked. And they see his God, uh, Gideon's father's God, they see him destroyed and there's nothing left. And immediately they say, which is interesting, but immediately they, they say, this is Gideon. How they knew that, I don't know. But they said, this is Gideon. Gotta be Gideon. Nobody else but Gideon. Let's go get him. And so they went and they first got <clears throat> Gideon's father. And they said, 
we just want you to know what happened to all these idols. They're all destroyed. He ransacked our church. And it's got to be your son. It can't be anybody else. And we're going to go get him. Come on. And Gideon's father did something really smart. He looked at everybody and he said, he said, hang on a sec. He said, we've been serving Baal for, or this God for quite a while. And if he's really a God, why didn't he defend himself against Gideon? Why could he not have destroyed Gideon? I mean, what kind of a God are we serving who can't defend himself? Maybe we ought to think twice. And the whole thing turned around differently for Gideon than what he assumed was going to happen. Because he thought his father was going to come after him and punish him and so forth. But it all turned around the other way. And I will tell you something, that even though for every one of us, even though it may not seem logical or it may not seem the sensible thing to do, if you're in the will of God, God can make it all come out right. And sometimes we can do the oddest things or be called or led to do the oddest things. But if you're in the will of God and God is with you, it it will come out right because God does not lead us into confusion. And God does not lead us into destruction. That's just not his way. And so we find that the, at, at the, through this whole story, you'll find it all come down, uh, you know, for the end of chapter 6 and, verse, and, and, and chapter 7 here, we, we find that, uh, you know, Gideon, he, he's, even, he's even referred to in the story. Now they even, they even change his name. They call him Jerubbaal. And uh, <clears throat> the, the meaning of the name is very simple. It just, it just means, and his father gave him that name, and he said, you know, why can't Baal defend himself against my, my son? And, and they're, just, they're just kind of amazed at this understanding back, and they realize there's just something unique and different about <clears throat> David. Sorry, about Gideon. So we read on in the story here, and <clears throat> in chapter 7, it says, Then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. It's interesting. You just have too many people in your camp, too many people on your side. So therefore go and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, and here it is, it pops up again. Whoever is afraid, I want you to go back. I mean, no no re- recrimination against you if you want to go back. And, and 22,000 people uh, went back and 10,000 remained. And, and God said to Gideon, God's looking at this, and he's, he's going to do this in a unique way. He says, now listen, <clears throat> there's still too many here, so I want you to go down uh, to the river, and, and I want everybody to take a drink. And everybody who takes a drink, like a dog puts their face in the water, he says, I'm going to have you send all them back. And uh, everybody who kneels on one knee like a warrior, he says, I'm going to take those, uh, those men, and he says, I'm going to have them go with you. And it wound up that there was 9,700 people who lapped like a dog, and there was only 300 left. Now, you got something like 22,000, and you're down to 300. Gideon's got to be looking at this and saying... Surely, there's got to be at least one more sign. Because like I say now, Gideon is not a prophet who's seen heavens open. He's not had, you know, these visitations and dreams and visions and countless experiences with God. This is all a brand new thing for Gideon. Everybody with me this morning? 
I mean, it's a brand new thing for him. So he goes, he asks God, and I mean, he's just, he's just nervous, and he's talking to God about this. And it says in verse 7, I mean, chapter 7 of verse 7, and the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men that, that, uh, that lap will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man unto his place. And he told him, he said, now these are going to be the weapons of your warfare. I want you to get a trumpet, I want you to get a lantern, and I want you to get a candle. And we're going to light those candles and we're going to go down and uh, we're, we're going to destroy this enemy here. And all of the, uh, all of the, um, the, the soldiers, now these 300, they're walking into battle in this new way with a trumpet and these lanterns. And they're walking into the situation here and uh, God says to Gideon, But listen, buddy, if you're nervous, I'm going to do something for you. He says, I'm going to direct you down to a certain tent uh, in the Midianite camp. And I want you to go stand by this tent and just listen to what's said. And when he goes down there, there's two Midianites that are in the tent. And they're talking to one another. And one says to the other one, hey, man, he says, I had a dream last night. Oh, yeah? What was your dream? He says, well, I, he says, I, I was in, we were in the camp, just like it's set up here. And he says, all of a sudden, rolling through this camp was a great big loaf of barley bread, a round one. And it rolled through the camp and destroyed all the people. I mean, it must have been quite a, quite a roll, quite a, uh, quite a loaf of bread. And it rolls through the camp and destroys everybody. And there's havoc in the camps, all kinds of people dead. And uh, they were just reduced to a pile of crumbs here. And uh, there's, there's, there's nothing left. There's just confusion and death all around here. And he's telling this guy. Now, he doesn't know Gideon's outside the tent. He doesn't know that Gideon is listening. But you know what he says to his friend? He says, when I had this dream and I woke up, he said, I said to myself, it's got to be Gideon. It's just got to be Gideon. Now, how they made those conclusions, I don't know. How they they connected Gideon with this large loaf of bread, I really don't know. But it says this to me, that just because, uh, it wasn't because Gideon had this great reputation, but somehow or another he had contact with God. And having contact with God, they knew there was some supernatural element or some supernatural presence that was with Gideon. That now was to be respected whether they liked it or not. It was to be respected whether they believed it or not. And it was like that Gideon had a protection about him that nobody else seemed to have. He was being raised up here. And not only did the Israelites realize that, and not only did Gideon's father realize it, but the Midianites got it figured out too. And we're not in our place. We're in the place of the Israelites. And we've heard these stories about their God. And so far, we have not seen any evidence of their God showing up. But now when I had this dream, I realized that's probably got to be Gideon and it's, it's somehow or another the hand of God upon him. And they realize. And I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I, you know, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing in, in, our, in our lives as you go through it. There, there's, there's, there's a relative peace that we have in our lives and in our communities. I mean, in our church here, I'm thankful for the peace that we have. I'm thankful for the ability that we have to be able to meet and to be able to gather and we live in a country where that takes place regularly. And part of it is not so much what you're doing or I'm doing or what the deacons are doing. Part of it is just the presence of God in your life. Yeah, that's right, 
And, and part of it is, you know, when you, when you travel and when you're, you're moving around and going about life, life, there's a very thin channel in life, very, very thin walkway in life. And there's trouble on one side and trouble on the other side. And you know this, you don't have to go very far these days to find trouble. But somehow or another, God allows us to maneuver through and, and, and to be able to, uh, I mean, just think about the amount of miles that, uh, that you travel. And, and the amount of distances that you go. I was looking at Brother Bill over here and, you know, the amount of mileage he covers and Brother Keith and Brian McCall and different ones who drive. And, you know, being out in uh, different places and, 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 and they, you know, they, they, they come back every Sunday, come back every week here. And, I, you know, it's not just because they're good drivers. I think it's the hand of God uh, over our lives. Trouble befalls us every now and then, but, and, and sometimes God will use those things to get a hold of us, right? Get our attention on things. But I'm, I'm thankful for the protection that we have. And whether, you know, people understand or not who we are, they know somehow we're different. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And you should be thankful for that difference. You should be thankful for that anointing. You should be thankful that God has got his hand on you and is watching over you. And that's a wonderful thing. And he realizes, he realizes this is exactly what's happening and that God's got his, his hand upon uh, Gideon. And, and Gideon realizes this, that God would never send me down into a place like this unless there was actually, unless there was actually some presence or some purpose that God has. Now I want you to Think for a moment here. And this is interesting. <clears throat> because Gideon asked God in these conversations with him. And again, there's not a long history. This happens pretty quickly. But it's interesting because <clears throat> Gideon asked God, he says, Lord, he says, if you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're the God of creation showing up here, he says, and where are all the miracles? And Brother Branham said, he asked the right question. He asked the right question to God. He said, if God be with us, why aren't there more miracles among the children of Israel? Why, why don't we see more of your presence here? Now, I'll tell you something, and, and you can probably figure this out pretty easily, that there was enough rebellion or disobedience in the camp that God doesn't operate in an atmosphere of unbelief and disobedience. You're always at your best when you obey God. And when you, when you put your prayer request before God, you know, we're not ever supposed to tell God what he's supposed to do. But it's interesting that Gideon's looking around at the children of Israel and he sees this swarm of the Midianites and there's no opposition. There's nobody standing up to them. There's no, nothing supernatural that's happening as far as he's, his opinion is. Uh, until now, God's dealing with Gideon. But he says, we're, if, if, if God be God, where are all the miracles? And I think, I think that's a fair question for any of us to ask. Because doesn't the Bible say that signs would follow them that believe? I will also say this. <clears throat> that, you know, in a sense, we were kind of spoiled with Brother Bram's ministry because... It seemed like every day Brother Branham lived, there was miracles that happened in his, in his 24-hour period. I mean, if, if, if a true journal was written, there'd be thousands and hundreds of thousands of miracles that would have taken place. And in a sense, we're kind of spoiled because, you know, we look at the ministry that he had and think, wow, we'll never compete with that. But that's not the way we should look at it. 
Because you know what? We're not, let's say it this way. Brother Branham didn't perform all those miracles. God performed all those miracles. And the God of William Branham is still very much alive. And when God took Brother Branham off the scene, he didn't take his power with him. You know what? He only had a channel, a vessel that he used so mightily and so powerful with that gift of healing to be able to demonstrate God's power in many different parts of the world. But I would ask the same question, if God be God, should there not be miracles among us? Well, I'll tell you what, if you don't mind, can I have a minute on this? I'd like to say this morning, I'd like to say this morning, one of our miracles sang a special. Now it ain't over, but if we just went by what the doctors said, Brother Keith wouldn't be up singing a special this morning. And you know what? I believe that I believe that it is really important and necessary for us to continue to pray for him because the same God that's brought him this far, that's the same God that can deliver him completely. Do you believe that God can do that? I believe Brother Keith believes that. I believe his family are nodding over here. They believe that. And I don't believe that he would be with us today like he is and sing a special and, and so passionately and have every one of you on your feet if it was not for the hand of God upon him. And I think we should thank God for that. I'd like to also say this. Uh, ben and Rachel Pritchard are not here today. Their oldest son, they are here. They're over in the fellowship hall. Okay. <clears throat> are they listening? Good. Back in December, and you didn't know this because this was an unspoken prayer request that didn't come to the assembly. Okay, but it was just mentioned as an unspoken prayer request. And back then, <clears throat> Anderson, who has cystic fibrosis, he said, sorry, Sister Rachel wrote this and told me, she said, they told us when they examined him in December, the ENT, the, the specialist, the ear, nose, and throat specialist, they examined him and they said every sinus cavity was full of mucus. And he would require an intense and invasive surgery to remove it all. Because part of the problem with CF is that it's not able to be removed naturally. And the CT scan showed that he was a mess. These are her her words. And that he had polyps and several other things that were listed. And they started a new medication. And the doctor said, we're going to try this new medication, which they did give him. And at the, end, at the end of about a month and a half, they went back. This is, this is last, sorry, this is February 4th. So this is uh, last Tuesday. They went back to the doctor, and the doctor did a repeat of all of the tests for Anderson again. And the doctor said, I'm going to call this a miracle. There is no mucus anywhere, there's no polyps, and there's no need for surgery. Amen. Now, Sister Rachel included... <clears throat> Go ahead. We should clap and give God praise. You say, well, he took medicine. Hey, we we believe that God has a variety of means for healing. Medicine is one of them, and I thank God for that. But you know what? We're going to give God the credit for his healing, all right? She also included the doctor's report, which is great. And this is what the doctor wrote. Okay, so it's not her now. This is what the doctor wrote. This is a patient with a history of cystic fibrosis, but he's, uh, we put him on a new uh, medication to alleviate uh, some of these symptoms and so forth. The nasal endoscopy that was performed today, he has a completely healthy appearance, and his endoscopy evaluation says no evidence of purulence, polyps, masses, or legions. I'd like to see him maybe six months from now. 
I, I think that's the hand of God. Amen. No matter how it comes, we're going to give God the glory and the honor for it. Last week, we prayed for Brother Troy. And uh, we, we knew he was going down to Duke University on Tuesday uh, to be examined by a specialist down there. And uh, had waited for a long time to get into that specialist and went down there. And uh, we prayed for him, laid hands on a couple of brothers, laid hands on him uh, last Tuesday. They went down to Duke. His daughter recorded the interview with the doctor. And I heard most of that recording. Most of the, they didn't record the entire interview, but they recorded part of it and sent me the recording. And I have it on my phone. And the doctor listened to it and he said, he said, my goodness. He said, uh, you know, you walked in here from the parking lot. And uh, you're sitting there with, with, without any shortness of breath. And you, you've, you've been able to do this and this, something else and so forth. He said, you have no problem in your heart that requires any sort of surgery whatsoever. Amen. Now, I'm paraphrasing. He's not allowed to lift heavy weights or anything like that. But he doesn't have to do any surgery at all. And we're very thankful for that. Amen. Brother Troy, how old are you? 79. Now, when you're 79, you're not supposed to be farming and logging and things like that, right? Uh, you're not supposed to be. And Brother Troy has done that all of his life. Now the doctor's telling him to slow down. When you're 79, that's a good piece of advice anyway, right? But the doctor told him to go home. He said, go, go get a new, uh, you know, he has the, the gastric issues, you know, the, the upset stomach and so forth. He said, go find yourself a new doctor. He said, because that doctor's been telling him it's his heart. And uh, he said, it's not your heart at all. He said, we have no evidence at all that you require any kind of open heart surgery or anything to repair that problem. He said, just go on and live your life. Amen. I'd like to give God the credit for that. Amen. This past week, <clears throat> this past week, I had the opportunity out in Arizona to sit with Brother Menno Friesen. Brother Menno Friesen uh, is a... Just a wonderful elder brother. He's retired from preaching now. He's 81 years old and uh, was a pastor in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan for many, many years. Some of you know him. Uh, just a wonderful gentleman and just a real wonderful brother. And, and uh, we were able to uh, have a meal together at my son's house this week, this past week. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just great. And we, after supper, we just kind of got our coffee cups and there was maybe seven or eight people around and we were just talking about things. And he began to relate his experiences and had been in Brother Bram's meeting several, several times and was in the Melchizedek meeting. He was in this day, the scriptures fulfilled the same as Sister Becky was. And, uh, he was there through all of that set. They ran out of space in the auditorium. So he was sitting on the platform right behind Brother Branham. And, uh, he said he had great memory of the details of what, what had happened in, in some of those meetings. And I'll just tell you one story that he related to us. And he said there was a, a man who was there, and his wife wasn't there for some reason, but he had his young daughter, just a small girl, and she had a cleft palate. And uh, she was, uh, they were waiting for the service to start, and then Brother Branham came out, and uh, he had put in a prayer card and was hoping that it would get called, you know, at the end of the service, because doctors couldn't do anything for this cleft palate at all. And he said, I was watching this as Brother Branham was, was standing there, and I've told you before that at the Middleview Park High School where they had the meetings, the auditorium was over here and the gymnasium was over here. They filled both sides uh, of, the, of both places. They were completely packed full. And Brother Branham was in the middle. And so he had to kind of look this way and this way if he was going to face the people. But if he looked straight ahead, he was just looking at a wall because it was just a wall between the two auditoriums. And he said, <clears throat> Brother Menno said, I watched Brother Branham and he turned this way. 
out to the auditorium. And he said, folks, now, I want you to be praying, he said, for a young girl over here behind me. He, doesn't, he never looks. He never looks. And what had happened was <clears throat> this girl was getting antsy, just a little girl, like two or three. She gets antsy, and she's got to go to the restroom. So the father, he says, well, I don't want to miss anything. Brother Bram's just come out. But he says, come on, let's go quickly to the restroom. So he's going to the restroom. Now, you know, when you're going to the restroom with your two or three-year-old and, and you, know, you want to come back quickly, you're not, thinking of, you're not thinking of hearing the voice of God, right? But he's walking along, going to the restroom like this, and he said, God stopped him right there in his tracks almost at the door of the restroom, and says, go back to your seat. And he, he thought for a moment, and he said, <clears throat> he said, who, who was that? And he said, he heard it again. He said, go back to your seat. So he just turned around, went back, brought the girl back to the seat, put her on his knee. Now remember, he's looking at Brother Bram's back. And Brother Bram's pointing that way. And he says, folks, you people over here need to be praying. He said, because there's a little girl over here that has a cleft palate. And he said, she's here tonight with her father. And the mother is not here, but the father is here. And he said, They're pretty, she's pretty restless at the moment. But he said, I want you to just, if you don't mind, just bow your heads and let's pray. And that man said, just when he said, let's bow our heads, he realized he was talking about him. He realized he was talking about his little girl. And he made a few more remarks about, you know, describing who it was. And this man caught it. And he said, when he took his girl, after Brother Brandon prayed, took his girl, turned her around, the cleft palate was completely gone. <laughs> completely gone. Brother Bram never looked at her. Brother Bram never laid hands on her. He never called a prayer cloth at all. He, or the prayer, the prayer card number. Never did any of that. He said, just looking this way. And God's just showing him. God's just showing him what's going on in their lives. Let me tell you something. I believe, saints of God, that we serve the same God that is able to do that. And we may not have a prophet who's there as a spokesman and living kind of partway between those two dimensions. But, uh, you know, if Ruby was in here today, I'd have her stand up. Because when you, when you think about it, uh, the reason why a lot of us are here and the reason why a lot of us are blessed the way we are, it's not because we're better people than the people of this earth. But I believe it's the presence of God that makes a difference in our lives. Would you agree with that? And we should have evidence of, uh, of God's supernatural work. And, and a lot of times, you know, when we submit prayer requests in, and have them read before the church, we ought to, and I'm encouraging you to do this, to follow up and say, I put in a prayer request two weeks ago, and God answered that prayer. You know what that does? That builds the faith of everybody who prayed for that need. But when we never hear about it, we, we think, well, that prayer, prayer request just went up into oblivion. But you know, in God's eyes, it never goes up into oblivion. God hears and answers every prayer that we ever bring to him. And I believe that God is a prayer answering God. Do you believe that? So even if the prayer request, like for Anderson, was not spoken out in public, we were praying for Anderson and praying that God would deal with him. And, uh, you know, God, uh, they were reluctant about this new medicine and so forth. But, you know, you turn around, have the report, and the doctor's even giving you his report and saying, there's nothing there. It's a miracle. This is the doctor's words. It's a miracle. And, and nothing, nothing needs to be done. That's the hand of God. I mentioned to you about Joe Drum, Brother Joe Drum, and the, uh, you know, the cancer and the things that they were testing him for and his liver and the problems with that. And, and he goes to the doctor, and Sister Frieda said, it's almost like the doctor's embarrassed, you know, that I called you in here and uh, had you come and had more tests done here. He said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. He said, if you ever need me, you have my number, just give me a call. 
That's quite a different report. You know, when the doctor, uh, the doctor tells you, hey, man, you know, you got these cells are showing up and your blood count's doing this. And, uh, you know, it doesn't look good and you're going to require treatment. That's one kind of report. But the other kind of report, when the doctor says, hey, you know, you're on your own. See you later. Come back if you need me. You know, my number there. That's the kind of report that the people of God ought to, ought to have and be thanking God for. And so Gideon is asking the question, if God be with us, where are all the miracles? I say that that same miracle working God is still here. But you know what? God does not, and this is something we need to just underscore, God does not need to entertain us with miracles in order to get our attention to the message that he brought in this day. We all claim to be believers, isn't that right? We are believers of the message of the hour. But just like when Ruth was in the field gleaning, uh, you know, in the corners of the field, God told uh, uh, the laborers there, just drop a handful on purpose every now and then. And I thank God that he drops a little miracle in or a little sign in, a little something in there that lets, lets you know, hey, in the, in the end of Laodicea, when you're out there laboring in the field there and you're plowing through and working against the Midianites in your time, I'm going to drop a little bit there just to let you know I love you, just to let you know I'm with you. God cares about us. God cares about the struggles you're going through. God cares about your heartache. God cares about your confusion. God cares about everything that you face in this hour. And I'm thankful for that, folks. I'm thankful that God is mindful of us. And I think also it's really important for us to realize that God has done all of these things so graphically and so well recorded and well documented in our time so that we would never forget that our God is still able and our God watches over even the cry of the littlest ones among us. You know, five-year-old Ruby here and God's watching that whole thing unfold there. And I go down, you know, we go, go down to the emergency room and Sam will tell you we prayed for her. And, you know, that morning I'm down picking them up because they're going home, uh, you know, back to their house again. And the doctor writes it off. He just washes his hands of the whole thing and saying there's no injury. Let me tell you, God does that, I believe, to remind us that he's, care- he's mindful of even the youngest among us or whether it's Brother Johnny's father, uh, you know, in his 90s there. Hey, it doesn't matter. God's mindful of whatever you're going through. And we should never forget that. And the Holy Ghost in you reminds you of that. And for that, we are blessed. You know the story of Gideon, how it unfolds, and they, they destroy all of the Midianites there, and they have this confusion in their camp when the trumpets are blown and so forth. And I want you to draw your attention just to the last part of Gideon's story. And I'm in chapter 8 here of the book of Judges. I'm going to wrap it up here. And and just to to say this. Verse 22, I'm in chapter 8 and verse 22. And the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. Man, after such a great victory and all those Midianites died. You know, we thought we were goners because they were in here like a a swarm of locusts. Gideon, it all happened under your watch and God used you for this rule over us. You become a king over us. Become a, a, you know, a guide over us. And I love Gideon's answer in 23. And he said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. But he said, the Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon's trying to bring them back to the realization that everything you have and your success doesn't depend on me as a personality being here. Your success depends on whether you're actually following God and serving God. And that's the whole reason for your success. 
28 says in the same chapter, I'm in chapter 8, verse 28, and I'm going to conclude here. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. Powerful enough that when Gideon had the great victory, 40 years passed without any war. And Jerobabel, who is Gideon, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body, begotten for he had many wives. He's got 70 sons. He's got a tribe all his own. And he said, his concubine that was in Shechem also bore him a son whose name is called Abimelech. And Abimelech's story unfolds in the next chapter. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died. I love this. And he died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, and Oprah, the Bezerites. So all the rest of Gideon's life, there's no, no wars, no troubles. God blesses the whole thing and there's peace there and so forth. And I mean, you, you know, you would, you would think that the people who would follow Gideon, the, the, the next generation that came after Gideon, you would think, wow, you know, if, if, I mean, the principle is very simple, that if we obey God and we follow God and do like, like Gideon did, then God will honor us and we'll go on in peace and so forth. I mean, you would think that that's what they would think, right? You would think that they wouldn't forget so quickly. You would think that they'd hang on to those victories and they'd hang on to those stories and share them with their children and their grandchildren. You would think that. But the very next verse says this. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam and made Baal bareth their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Gideon, Jerubbaal, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Wow is right. What I'm saying to you this morning is you should thank God you have the Holy Ghost that reminds you continually of what God has done. It reminds you of what God is. And it reminds you that you have boundaries to live within. Because God's not afraid to demonstrate his power. God's not afraid to bring down governments. God's not afraid to do great things on behalf of the people of God. But you know what? We should never forget those things that God has done on our behalf. The worst thing we could do as a generation is take for granted all that God did with Brother Branham and, you know, all that God does now in our midst here. And, you know, we talk about the healings and there's many, many other stories that we could share, not only here, but many other stories that have taken place in other parts of the world. I was looking at a picture the other day. I remember the, remember I, we, we I had you praying for this uh, young man who was not in Brother Elias's church over in Tanzania, but he was a carpenter working on a roof. You remember and he fell through the lattice and landed on the concrete uh, floor? And broke both of his uh, legs, had uh, spiral fractures in his legs. And uh, the doctor said he'd never walk again. You remember we brought that prayer request here several years ago. And uh, uh, we, we prayed for that young man, just maybe in his 40s. And uh, got a family, got three or four kids. And his wife had to go out and work and borrow money in order to try to live. And we prayed for that man. And when I came, when I came back from the next trip I went to Tanzania, Brother Elias, he says, come outside for a minute. And he said, here's the man that you prayed for. Here's the man that you, uh, that you had helped and asked about and prayed for. And I have a video of me and him walking up the lane together. And he's just walking beside me like this. I said, nah, yeah, I said, whether you realize it or not, you're a miracle. You're a miracle of the hand of God. And the doctors are telling you one thing, but God has another plan, another purpose for your life here. And I said, we should never forget the goodness of God. Not only in that situation, but in every situation where we see the hand of God moving. May we never forget that. 
and try to elevate, you know, some man in some position or somebody in some uh, place they don't belong. Gideon said, hey, away with the idea of me being a ruler over all of you people here. He said, let God be your ruler. I'd say the same thing about myself here today. And I say this, uh, I hope you take it in the right way. But you know what? HBT is not about Brother Barry. It's about the God that we all serve together. Whether I'm here or not, I trust that none of you would leave and say, well, Brother Barry's dead and gone. My goodness, I'm just going to walk away from the message. I hope that would never happen to any one of you. Because you've got to have something more than just a connection with Brother Barry. Or a connection with a church. Or a connection with some preacher. This is not about me. And it's not about Donnie Reagan, or it's not about, uh, you know, some other minister, or it's not about some church. It's about you and Christ together as persons walking together through this last day. I was telling somebody the other day about my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law and father-in-law taught me, taught me many lessons. But I was telling somebody about my mother-in-law. I was telling the boys, actually, uh, the other day about her. And I said the thing that was unique about her was that I said she had an experience with God outside of or apart from anyone else in the world. And whatever happened to her, she had an experience with God. And no matter how high or how low or how bad things got, how rough things were, she had this experience with God. And you were always reminded of the fact that she had an experience with God, and she always turned to God. And she believed and relied upon God. And I thought, uh, if nothing else, if there's no other lesson I learned from her life, It is truly that, that we are not in this because of William Branham, and we're not in this because of our church building or something else. We are in this because we're in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that holds me. That's the thing that keeps me. And that's the thing that's going to get you across on the other side. And for every one of you, when the children of Israel got into a spot where they needed help, God was faithful and gracious, even though they turned right around and forgot God and were not even good to the house of Gideon after he died. Forgot him, discredited him, all the other things that happened. But God in his mercy came right around again and offered them another judge and another helper and another deliverance. God truly is a God of mercy. But for us, God has given us the added advantage of having the baptism of the Holy Spirit which holds us and ties us to the tree of life himself and helps us to maintain the right relationship with God no matter what happens in this world, no matter what comes your way. If you still have a relationship with God, you'll always be able to remember, but he helped me back here and he helped me over here and he helped me there. That same God's going to help me again. And we trust in that. Brother Sam and Sister Nadia have their oldest boy, Eli. And Eli has made some bad decisions in life. And I asked them about this, and they told me it was all right to bring this prayer request. And I'm going to ask you in a moment just to pray for Eli. And being raised in a message home with excellent message parents, people who love God and serve God, I, I mean, there's really nothing greater that a young person could have. Whether you young people realize it or not, there's really nothing great. To be raised in a home in this world where the tokens applied, what else could you ask for if you were a young person? And Eli has made some choices. He's come to an age where he's made some choices which are not good and associated with people who are influencing him in dark directions. And I will tell you what, saints of God, there's a point where you can move where you know, you're beyond the reach of your 
natural parents and you're beyond the reach of the pastor and you're beyond the reach of good friends like some of you young people that are here. And place yourself in an environment where Satan's the ruler. And I will tell you what, in that environment today, it's not a good place to be. It's a dangerous and dark place. But you know what? I I believe today that we serve a God that is able to reach down into the darkest of valleys and able to touch the most wayward of young men and touch their hearts and bring them back. And I'm going to ask you as a congregation, a moment we'll all rise, and musicians, if you don't mind, you can just slip out here gently and come on up to your instruments here. I think we should rise and pray together as a congregation and just say, Lord Jesus, we're going to commit Eli into your hands, and we're going to pray that God will touch him, don't know how, don't know where, but we serve a God, we serve a God who is able. Gideon asked the question, well, if God be God, where are all the miracles? I'll tell you what, we know the God of miracles. And we know even though we're 55 years after the passing of Brother Branham, that God still lives today just the same as he ever did. And he's still as powerful as he ever was. And he's still a savior of all those that are lost to the uttermost, same as he ever was. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. Brother Sam and Sister Nod, if you don't mind, would you step out and come on up here and and we're just going to pray with you. Let's have a bunch of brothers come on up here and I want you to just surround Sam and Nadia and we're going to pray for them. And we're not only just praying for Eli now, but we're praying for parents that will have the wisdom to say the right thing at the right time. Because you know what? Eli knows what's right. He knows exactly what's right. He knows, he knows the message is true. Sometimes a word in due season is the thing that clinches it. And so we want to just pray that if, if Eli has contact with them, that they'll just say the right thing at the right time. And God will use that like, an, like a, a stone out of uh, David's sling and just go right to the heart of the enemy and destroy that enemy. Do you believe God's able to do that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We join our hearts together now with Sam and Nadia. And Father, we just commit their burden and their need to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We serve a God who is greater than any problem we could ever face, Lord. We believe, Lord, we serve a God who is able to soften even the hardest of hearts. And Lord, you know the answer. You know the solution, Lord. You know exactly, Lord, where Eli is today. Father, we're just saying by faith, we're not letting him go, but we're trusting, Lord, in some sovereign way that, Lord, you'll just reach down and be merciful to him. You're still the prodigal father today, the one, Lord, that looks for the lost. And every single day, Lord, may we be reminded that you are the God, Lord, who's able to save those to the uttermost that are apart from you. We claim him, Lord, and that's what your prophet taught us, Lord, to take the token and lay it over our loved ones, Lord. And just pray for them in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're just going to trust that you're going to turn him around. You're a God who cares and you're a God who looks after the one that strays. Even more than the 99 that stay. And Lord, we commit him into your hands now. I pray you'd make his life so miserable. I pray, dear God, that you would break him down so quickly. And Lord, he would realize there is no life outside of Christ. And Lord, he'd come to realize there's no peace outside of the Prince of Peace. 
I commit them and the family, Lord, into your hands. Put words in their mouth. Give them wisdom to know exactly what to do, Lord. I commit them into your care. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And may Satan have to take his hands off God's property. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. Oh, I send my
Aren't you thankful for that mercy? His mercy
strong 
falling in love with Jesus. Oh, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I ever done. Sing that again. on this, but uh, the Lord has just been convicting me after uh, hearing Brother Barry talk about being healed, and I need to give a testimony that I haven't done. As many of you know, I have suffered with back pain for a very, very long time. Um, usually at least once a year, my wife can tell you that I would be on my back in bed not able to move at all for at least a week at a time. And the last youth camp meeting um, was Saturday night. They had a prayer meeting, or a, uh, sorry, a prayer line. And uh, people were coming through, and as I was there, I just, I was helping. And afterwards, I just went up and I asked a brother to pray for me, and I said, I have just been dealing with this for over 10 years of serious back pain, and I'm tired of Satan having this over my life. And I asked him to pray for me. I could barely stand that night, and the Lord completely healed me that I could go back, slept the rest of the time with the youth, being up late with them, never had any back problem. I haven't dealt with any lower back pain since that time. And I want to say thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. That's our God. That's our God. That's the God we serve. 
Why shouldn't we expect God to be doing things on our behalf like that? And we come to him in faith. If there's any people on earth who should be convinced that God's a healer, it should be this group right here. Believers of this message of the hour. I'll tell you what. God is good, isn't he? In his arms, I feel protected. presence, Lord. The farther we go, we realize there's nothing greater than being in the presence of God. And Lord, it doesn't require working anybody up or putting on some sort of a program in any way, Lord. It's just believers coming together and believing that you're among us, Lord. Father, I just pray you'd continue to open your word to us. And Lord, we look at these examples of people, Lord, thousands of years ago, But yet, Lord, they trusted you and they believed you and you did great things for them despite their fears and despite their hesitation. And Lord, we're just standing here today as people, Lord, but we we truly believe, Lord, that it isn't us, Lord, but it's Christ in us that makes a difference. And Lord Jesus, I'm just committing the people into your hands now. And Lord, there are several requests that, Lord, were made and, and Father, serious ones, and I just pray again for all of them. And ask, dear God, that you deal with hearts and bring healing to those who need it. Deliverance from satanic involvement, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would just be a real on-time God in their behalf. And Lord, again, we lift Eli into your hands, Lord, and just pray that you would just reach out to him, Lord. In your own time, your own way, we're just going to commit that situation into your hands, Lord. Have your way now, we pray. Lord, as we go, may our fellowship be sweet. And Lord, until we meet again. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is good, isn't he? I mean, he's just so good. He's just all the time good. He's absolutely all the time good. What were you just playing? I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. I'm going to keep pressing.
stop me Turn me aside There's no need for you to go on Why do you even try? Even if there was a rapture You'd never make it in 